0: There was once a a young man named Samuel who was a slave. He was owned by this wicked, evil slave master from birth. In fact, his siblings and his mother and father and his grandparents and his great-grandparents, as far back as they could carry the family tree, all of them were owned by this slave master. This master who made it his business to... Misuse them, abuse them, malign them, work them literally to death. This, this slave master was a wicked, cruel, sinister man. And there seemed like there was no escape for Samuel. Sure, people had tried to escape over the years, but the end of every story was death. <clears throat> Nobody left this slave master's property. Everybody died. Nobody escaped. Samuel seemed like there was no hope for him. He didn't see how he or anybody else owned by the slave master could ever escape the misuse, the abuse, the hurt, and the eventual death at the hands of this taskmaster, this slave master. And so Samuel and the rest of his family and the rest of the slaves lived without hope. Until one day, one day... Another master, another master heard. He knew about these slaves living in this oppression, living in this abuse, living in this like death trap. And he decided to do something that nobody else had ever tried to do before. To enter the property of this slave master and to set them free. He arrived in the middle of the night and... He went to this, the slave quarters and he tried to convince and plead the people that he was a different kind of master. And if they just came with him, they could be free. They could, be, they could have this new life, a total different way of life. And, and most of the people, though, in these slave quarters didn't really believe that he would be a different master. That's all they ever knew was the master that owned them. And so to think about... Somebody else treating them differently, somebody else actually taking them and walking them off the property and setting them free was something that they could never even comprehend. And so most of them didn't believe this master, this new kind of master who had come to set them free. But there were a few. Samuel was one of the few that seemed when he when he Spoke, this master spoke. They heard something different that they had never heard before. When they looked into his eyes, they saw something that they'd never seen before. There was something different. And so when he talked about freedom and he talked about a new kind of life away from misuse and abuse and oppression and pain and eventual death, they believed this master and they decided, you know, we're going to follow this guy. We're going to believe it and we're going to follow him off this property. So in the dark of the night and quiet, A few people, including Samuel, decided to follow this new master off the property as they left the slave quarters and out into the field. Samuel's mind reeled with these thoughts. Is all that this new master is telling us really going to be true? Is all that he said really and promised, is that really going to work out? Is it going to be a new kind of life? Is it going to be real freedom? or Are we just going to face the same kind of oppression or worse that we had here? I don't know, but okay, I'll just keep following. it can't be any worse than we're here. So I'm going to keep following this this master away from this place. And then suddenly, Samuel heard an all-too-familiar thunderclap sound of a gunshot. And the old master, this wicked, evil slave master, shot through the darkness, confronted this guy who was trying to free these people, and he pointed his gun in his face and said, What do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? Are you going to free these people? These are people that I own. You can't take them away from here. You cannot free them from my grip. They're mine. And Samuel heard the new master's voice say with a steady calm that he had never heard before. Yes, I will take them from here. And they will be free from your burden of wickedness and oppression. They will always be free. And the evil slave master said, you can't do that. There's no way. Not even you can free these slaves from my ownership. You can't do that. You know the punishment. You know what what everybody earns on my property. It's death. And the master who came to set the people free said, then I'll die. I'll die in their place. Go ahead. Kill me. But just let them go free. And the slave mastered this old masterful wickedness and said, well, that's great then. This is better than I could ever have imagined. I've won. But I've never heard of this crazy thing before. A master would die for the slave? A master dying for a slave? So that they can go free? You're going to die? That's crazy! I've never heard of such a thing before. And so he stuck his gun in the chest of this new master and shot him dead. And just in his last fleeting breath, this new master turned to the people that had followed him out, who believed that he was somehow a better master and he said, it's finished. Now go. You're free. That's the love of Jesus Christ for us. The master dying in the place of people enslaved to the bondage of sin and death. And we deserve death. And death was the, is the end of every man We've been born in spiritual death, separated from God, enslaved to the bondage of sin. And the end result of our sin, the wages of sin, is death, eternal separation from God. We're born that way, separated from God, and if we if something doesn't happen, then we'll die separated from God. And for all eternity, we will be apart from God in a place of eternal condemnation forever, in a place called hell. But Jesus, this new master, came in and he broke through the scene, he went onto the property. Of this old master, he went onto the property of a person of 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 this place filled with sin called Earth, and he came to rescue people like you and me. That's the love of Jesus Christ that he came to die in your place and in my place. He took the penalty. He knew that it was going to have to be death. So the Father set this plan in order that everyone who believed in the new master, Jesus Christ, everyone who believed in Jesus and turned from their sin and the place of bondage and turned to God, turned to Him, would be rescued. That's the goodness of the gospel. That's the love in Jesus Christ. That somehow... Satan has not won. In fact, he is lost because love has won and death is conquered and Jesus Christ is the victor for all eternity. And everyone who follows him will be rescued. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will be rescued, has been already rescued if you trust in Jesus Christ. That's something to rejoice about. That's something to sing and shout about, to raise up a shout that Jesus saves. That there's something amazing, someone amazing who has come to rescue you and me from the bondage, the slavery of sin. And so how does this apply to us? If you know Jesus Christ, are we just supposed to sing songs about it? Actually, it gets even better because when the master Jesus Christ died... And he gave his fleeting breath and he said, it is finished. I know the total sacrifice has been paid in my blood. They're free. Everyone who's believed in me is free. He whom the sun sets free is free indeed, Galatians says. He broke the back of death by rising again. Jesus Christ rose from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we could walk in newness of life. And here's the big idea. You and I, in light of Jesus, a new master, coming to rescue us from the enslavement of sin, has set us in new life so that we are alive in Jesus. Something has changed radically in our hearts, radically in our lives, and it shows up. Those who've been born of God look like their father. Those who've been saved in Jesus are alive in Jesus. And something changes. Something changes. And so you're no longer enslaved to sin. But you and I have this problem because oftentimes when we talk about this, I look at my life and I still, you and I, me, I'm putting myself in this collective here. My life often looks like I'm still enslaved to sin. I still have problems with pride. I still have problems with anger and frustration. I still have problems with with lust. I still have problems with all sorts of things, a lack of love, a lack of patience. I'm born that way. We're all born sinners. And so just because Jesus rescued us out of the enslavement of sin doesn't mean that I still don't have a battle in this life. I've been rescued, but I can choose to walk according to the spirit power or not. See? Paul says in Romans chapter the same spirit which raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. So, the implication is in another passage, so walk according to the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's kind of like a boxing match in the the letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I I don't box like I'm shadow boxing. I fight... I discipline my body, I follow Jesus Christ like I really mean it, I discipline how I live, I obey God because he's loved me, because he's rescued me, and therefore I don't want my life to be a shipwreck like others, and then in lots of places the Apostle Paul names names of people who have made a shipwreck of their lives. And so, here's what I want us to think about tonight. And painting this picture, don't lose that picture in your mind of how amazing a, the new master, the rescuer, Jesus Christ is. And that's the baseline for how we live our lives, okay? But who or what you obey, I'll put it this way. Who or what you love determines who or what you will obey. Who or what you love most determines who or what you will obey. If you love Jesus Christ with everything that is in you, and if you keep that picture in your mind and in your heart of Jesus Christ and how awesome he is to save you and me through his blood, his very life, his death and resurrection, and you love him in return, you will obey him. But we often really choose to obey the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 6. And I want to look at a passage with you. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, the Apostle Paul talks about this tension that you and I are in. And this is with the assumption that you know Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure if all of you know Jesus Christ or not. I'm not sure if all of you have been made alive by placing your faith in Jesus I'm not sure if all of you have been set free from the bondage and enslavement of sin or not. I don't know that for sure. Only God knows. That's between you and God. But as you walk through this passage, I want you to evaluate. Not with fear, not with guilt, not with shame, but I want you to evaluate. First of all, do I really love Jesus Christ more than anything else, more than anyone else on this earth or not? Because if you love Or if you value or value or if you desire other things other than Jesus, then you will obey and follow after those things rather than Him. That's the key to this whole thing about our vital, what every Christ follower needs for life. Are we looking more like the walking dead? Are we looking like we walk according to Spirit as those who've been made alive through the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ? So, vital number nine, and this is the final one. It's not an even number, but we'll just have to live with that. Obedience. Obedience rooted in love. You show and demonstrate your love for God through joy-filled obedience. You show your love for God through joy-filled obedience. You don't obey God in order to earn more of his love. I hope hope I've, I've repeated that enough times over the last, I don't know, two and a half years. But you don't obey God in order to earn more of his love. He's loved you completely in his son, Jesus Christ. But if you love him, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, keep my commandments so that I love you. But if you love Jesus Christ, and if I love Jesus Christ, then we will obey him. We will serve him, not ourselves. Something has changed. Our desires have changed. Everything has changed. And so just as... My little story about those people walking across the blood-stained fields free because they've been set free through the one who died in their place. It would be unthinkable for them to then, knowing that that master actually died but rose again, Jesus Christ, it would be unthinkable for them to say, I don't really need to listen to you now. I know you died in my place and I'd still be in bondage facing eternal death and separation from God for all eternity. But when you tell me to do something, yeah, you're the one who rescued me and saved me and gave me freedom and hope and peace and joy and love. I'm really not going to listen to it. And I'm really going to follow you sort of halfway. When you tell me something, I'm only going to do like 50% because I want to do my thing out in this free life plus you so I can be in eternity with you forever. You see how weird? It's, it doesn't make sense. And that's what Paul is going to talk about in Romans chapter 6. Turn there. Romans chapter 6. Get ready to dive in here. In light of God's grace in Jesus Christ to make you free and to save you, Jesus saves, what shall we say then? Okay, so what's the big deal? What difference does this make in your life that you've been saved you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven, you're not facing eternal condemnation in hell forever and ever and ever. So what? Okay. Are we to continue in sin? Sin is that which is contrary to God's character, God's will, or God's design. God is the opposite of sin. He create, he is holy, he embodies holiness. He is pure. He is love, and sin is the opposite, really, in a sense, of God. God is, God is sinless, and so sin is anything contrary to God's character, design, or will. And his will has been revealed in this book, all 66 books of this one I'm holding up. And so if you want to follow God, know this book. As a little side note. But Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? So are we just going to continue doing what we want? what our flesh wants, so that grace would just kind of keep pouring out on us? No. This Greek phrase, meganoito, it's translated here, may it never be, or if you're reading the King James Bible, it says, God forbid. It means, don't even think about it. That's ridiculous, that's preposterous, that's unthinkable. How could you even say that because... God has saved you and loved you so much to die in your place that you're just going to keep on living like you're enslaved to sin. That's ridiculous. It's the strongest negative phrase in the entire New Testament. Don't even think about it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Romans 6 verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk. Don't miss that. And so we too might live in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We're supposed to live in the resurrection power. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. That's the purpose of this, so that we would not still be slaves to sin, that which ends in death. For he who has died is freed from sin. So actually, this is not talking really about water baptism. Baptism is a picture of what? Water baptism is a picture of... Our identity in Christ. Yeah. How we have been buried with Christ because we have received what he has done through his death, burial, and resurrection. So water baptism is a picture of our identity with Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul is talking about how we are now in Jesus Christ. We've been joined with him. We have a new master and we're no longer slaves to sin. Something has radically changed. And so because of what he's done, we have died in Jesus Christ and risen again with resurrection power by the power of the Holy Spirit. God made change. Verse 8 Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Look at look out, Satan. Jesus wins. God is one. Satan's heading for eternal condemnation as well. The bottomless pit and then ultimately in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. The bottomless abyss he will never be seen from again eventually when God pronounces his final judgment. Death no longer is master over him. Jesus is conjured death for the death that he died. He died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, so all of this that you've been now joined with Jesus Christ, your union with him, because you believed in him, you've been changed, you are now alive in Jesus Christ, you're no longer in enslaved to sin. Therefore, verse 12, all of that points to this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on. Don't continue presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those... What's the word? (laughs) As those alive from the dead... And your members as instruments of, unrighteousness, of, of righteousness, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 13 again, because I don't know if you guys all caught that. And do not continue presenting the members of your body. That means you. Your arms, your feet, your hands, your mind, your mouth. All your organs. Do not go in presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who, those who are alive from the dead. That's the reality. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under the law. But under grace. It was grace That Jesus Christ came to the property where we lived, us humans, and rescued us. It was grace upon grace, his love that we didn't deserve, that he would die in our place. Our punishment, he took our death on himself so that you and I could be alive with him because he rose from the dead. If Jesus had remained in the grave, there would be no Savior. He rose from the dead, therefore, we have a gospel that changes everything. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Okay, here's the big question again. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. It's the same phrase. Don't even think about it. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? don't even think about it. Jesus Christ changes your life because of his love you have a new desire you have a new love your loves change when Jesus Christ saved you do not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience you are slaves the one whom you obey either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness but thanks be to God. That through you, thanks be to God, that, through, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been made free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So when you're struggling with living like you are still in sin slavery. Can you guys identify with that? you're struggling to live, you're still acting, you're still living like you are in sin slavery. Guys, when you keep looking at pictures, explicit pictures of girls, not by accident, girls, when you idolize and focus on some guy in Hollywood, or in the latest magazine, or whatever, or maybe some of you have tasted alcohol, or drugs, or perhaps, this is really kind of serious, because I'm not stupid. I know what it's like to be a teenager. I know that for almost every day in my life as a teenager, I struggled with lust. So I know pretty much 99.8% of all males in this room struggle with lust. And the case is pretty much, as statistics go, the same for the girls. And to act out on lust is sin. And Paul's saying, don't present your members as slaves to sin because you've been made alive in Jesus. So present your members as instruments of righteousness. Unto God, because you have this power of grace in your life that you didn't have before. You have the Holy Spirit in your life that you didn't have before, and God provides grace, provides power, so that you don't have to live according to all the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Do you ever get angry at people, and you ang- you get angry and you sin? Have you ever hated someone so much that you really wanted to hurt them? Have you maybe even on the way to church yelled at your family members because you were really ticked off? So you've used your mouths as instruments of unrighteousness, unto sin. And your heart is set against somebody. Or maybe it's this thing that Paul really had a problem with, coveting, wanting something that somebody else has. And so you set your whole life geared around getting what everybody else has because you want that because you think that will satisfy you. And when you're struggling with this sin slavery and you realize that you're not really acting like you're alive in Jesus, here are three things that I want you to keep in mind. One, we're going to go through these really fast, Krista. Recognize your sin as sin. That's what Paul is talking about in verses 15 through 19. Don't call it, um, well, I have this issue. I'm working. It's okay. Wrong process. None of us are perfect. But call it what it is. Paul does. The Bible does. This is inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. So recognize your sin as sin. Number two, look to Christ's work of love for you on the cross. This is where you return to the gospel. And I need the gospel just as much as you do, and we need the gospel now just as much as people who are outside of Jesus Christ. We've been saved, but now we're in this process of growing to be more like Jesus Christ. And the way that happens is still by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ alone. So we go back to the cross and say, oh Lord, you saved me. We sing about it. You rescued me. I return and I glory in the cross. I I boast in the cross alone. Because Jesus Christ through the cross paid everything, paid my debt, so that I could be free. So that I could go free. So recognize that your sin is sin and look to Christ's work of love for you on the cross. And then turn from your sin and turn toward the love of God in Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin toward the love of God in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. We'll finish up reading in Romans 6 here. For when you were slaves of sin, that's past tense, okay? When you were, you're no longer now. When you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? From the outcome of those things is death. But now having been made free from sin and enslaved to God... You derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I really love Hudson and Everlyn a lot. I don't love any. I, I I don't love other children nearly as much as I love my little Hudson Everlyn. I love. I love children, but Hudson and Everlyn, I love more than any other children on the planet. But yesterday, Hudson really, really, really displeased me. He really angered me. And it was righteous indignation because he had this rubber hammer, this mallet for one of his toys. And Everlyn was in her little, what do you those little scoot around chairs that she can walk around in, you know, and kind of bump into the cabinets and back up. Bump into the stone, back up. Boom. You know, she goes around in circles like this. And Hudson walks over and he has his hammer and goes, Bunk! Right on Everlyn's head. (laughs) I was not happy. I'm like, Hudson, why did you do that? And she's going, No Actually she wasn't breathing for about ten seconds and then she started crying. It was not good. And meanwhile, Stephanie's having her Bible study in the other room, and I'm trying to keep them quiet. I'm like, Hudson, shut up! You know, be quiet! I shouldn't said that. Anyway, I was not happy with Hudson. Okay? Do I love Hudson less because he did that? No, I love Hudson just the same. He's mine. I brought him into this world I could take him out. <laughs> Just kidding. I love Hudson. My love for him did not decrease when he hit everyone on the head. However, I told him, Hudson, don't do that again, or you'll be in big trouble. He goes, okay. Five minutes later, he thought I wasn't work- wasn't looking because I was trying to make popcorn or something. He went into the other room, got the hammer out again, went, whack, again. I don't know if he was trying to tense to test like, the bone density in her skull or what? I don't know. It was like, that time Hudson got disciplined. Jesus said to his followers, listen, Jesus said to his followers, Jesus said to those people who believed in him and had followed him, followed him, out of the blood field. And they were the ones to see him die in their place. He said, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll, you'll want to do my will. You'll want to obey me. He also said, Those whom the Father loves, he disciplines. Ouch! I felt the discipline and the chastening of God. And if you're alive in Jesus Christ, and you start getting on this path of acting like you're still a slave to sin, he's going to discipline you, just like Hudson got disciplined. He doesn't love you less. His love for you is complete and absolute in Jesus Christ. He already died for you. Love can't be any greater than that. Are you getting this? And that love is what motivates you and me to obey him, to serve him, to follow him with everything that is in us. To turn from our sin toward the love of God in Jesus Christ again and again and again. We turn. There's this kind of uh, term we use, repentance, and really means recognize your sin, turn from it, and turn to God. That's what these three points are all about. And it's not because I'm trying to earn more of his love. He loves me completely completely. But because of his love, because of that picture of love that he's a master who rescued us from the master of sin and death, we want to serve him. We want to love him. Everything changes. And I hope someday Hudson gets that through his very thick skull. Because I love him so much, I'm disciplining him so that one day he won't go around hitting people with hammers on the head. (laughs) It's kind of funny because I've told you before, when Hudson does that sort of thing, he'll be like, But I love her. Like, what is wrong with your love? And you hit people and you say, But I love you. He's got a problem with his understanding of love. And you know what? We have the same problem. So here's how we're going to close it up Love Jesus through joy-filled and be- obedience. Love Jesus through joy-filled and obedience, not out of a duty ethic, not because you're trying to earn the paycheck of heaven that doesn't work. Your wages are death. Jesus Christ died in your place. But do obey him. And here's the other equation I wanted you to think about. Maybe... You're not free. Maybe you're still enslaved to sin. You still feel the pressure every moment of every waking day that the master of sin has the, has bound you and you're not free. The ropes, the penalty of sin is still wrapped around you. And you realize right now that you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And all you have to do, just like those people that I described, just like Samuel, believe in the new master, Jesus Christ. Believe that he died in your place and rose from the dead so that you could have eternal life, forgiveness, and walk in newness of life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm-hmm. And you want eternal life tonight. And so God's invitation is open to you right now. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've never said, I believe, in your heart. You've never said, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. And you've never received him as your Savior. You could do that right now. Let's bow in prayer. Oh gracious God, you are that grace-giving amazing, loving God. And so many times we fail to obey you with joy. Sometimes I find myself just doing it out of drudgery. <coughs> and sometimes I find myself caught up into this idiotic, vicious cycle that I'm trying to earn your favor. I'm trying to earn more of your love. Forgive me for jumping into that crazy bandwagon. And, and tonight, Father, we pray that we would be people who love you in return for the love with which you've loved us, and we would show that love through joy-filled obedience, and we would obey you because we love you. Change our value systems, oh God. Change our loves, what we love, what we value most. may it always be that we love you most and value your mission, not ours. Oh God, would you help us to look like we are alive? We can't do this. We need your Holy Spirit power today. And so we recognize our need. We look to the cross and we turn from our sin to you. In the matchless and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, we pray. Amen.